Well, welcome again to Bible Center. My name is Matt Friend, the senior pastor here. It is great worshiping the Lord with you this morning. We conclude our series on loving like Jesus. This is the seventh week where we've been going through the Gospel of Luke, pulling out different groups of people uh, to whom Jesus showed extravagant love, uh, really shocked the people of his day, and it shocks the people of our day as well. Trust that the series has been a help to you. Before we dive in, like Pastor Garrison said a moment ago, it is March Madness, and so uh, some congratulations is in order. Last night, uh, the GW boys basketball team right here from Charleston won the state championship. Let's give them a hand, those in our church. Is Coach, Coach Green here this morning? He usually doesn't miss. He's here about every Sunday. Is Coach Green here, he and Mary? They probably had to stay up a little bit late last night. Uh, he may be in the second service. If you see Coach Green, wish him uh, some congratulations. We have an, another game tonight, not quite as important. Uh, WVU versus Marshall. I think it's like on like 11 o'clock or something like that tonight, really, really late. And I have to ask, how many of you are going to be rooting for Marshall? If you're a Marshall fan, will you raise your hand? Okay, those of you with green on, of course, uh, you'll be rooting. How many of you are going to be rooting for WVU? Tonight. Okay, got a lot of you there. We won't start a church war this morning, uh, but it is going to be an important game. It's probably on a lot of our minds. And so I was thinking yesterday, what if one of the coaches, whichever team is your favorite, what if one of these Division I coaches called you right now in the middle of the service and invited you to come to the basketball game tonight? There would still be time. You could get there out to San Diego in plenty of time. Your phone rings, you step out, you take the call, and it's one of the coaches. And so you begin to talk, and he says, look, I really called you by name. I really want you out here in San Diego with me. I've got courtside seats, front row. Uh, we're going to put you up in a five-star hotel, take care of all of your amenities. I've got a jet waiting for you at Jaeger. Leave the service right now, and you will make it in time for tonight's game. Now, whether you like basketball, whether you like WVU or Marshall, that still seems like a great, great invitation. I mean, even if you're an Ohio State fan, that would be an invitation to still enjoy. Today, we're going to be talking about a, a, something similar. It would have had the same effect. Jesus talks about a group of people who are invited to a great banquet. Not quite a basketball game, but it was a great banquet. And it's one of those kind of invitations that the audience would have said, sure, anybody in their right mind would follow up, would accept such an invitation. But the people to whom Jesus told this parable didn't like this parable because Jesus said that this owner, this master, this wealthy, rich landowner invited people to the banquet, but they chose not to come. And so Jesus ended up giving away their seats, ended up giving away their tickets to people who were of a lower class, people who didn't fit into their social structure. And while this parable may bless us, the original hearers were angry at it. How could this master invite people of such low esteem, of such ill repute? If you're taking notes today, the main point of this parable, we've summed it up for you at the top of your outline in your bulletin, is simply this. The highest form of love is to invite hurting people into your life. The highest form of love is to invite hurting people into your life. 
Over the last few weeks, I've been trying to do something. I, I learned it a long time ago, but I haven't done it nearly as much as what I would like. So I'm starting to do this before I preach. I'm actually taking a little time to preach the message to me first. And it's really doing a lot of neat things in my heart. Let me tell you why I need this message this week. I need this message because I like to be with people who look like me, who act like me, who live where I live, who identify with my social class, who vote like I vote, who see the world like I see the world. My prayer is this morning that the Holy Spirit will work on your heart just as much as he's worked on mine. It occurred to me this week being at the Civic Center and last week for a number of the basketball games, there are a lot of people in Charleston that I don't know. There's probably a lot of people in Charleston that you don't know. Whether it be the Civic Center or a restaurant, sometimes I just sit and I watch. I was at Starbucks for about four hours last week, and I thought, I wonder how many Bible Center people I know will come through Starbucks. And there were four or five, about one an hour. Got a chance to pray with one of our uh, ladies for a friend of hers that's going through a real physical difficulty. But it occurred to me, there's a lot at stake here. There's a lot at stake. In order to be a church Charleston can't live without, God's going to broaden our thinking, broaden our hearts to be able to love like Jesus loved. And so my invitation as we go through this parable today is we'll be captured by the love of the Father and that we'll invite people in just like Jesus invited people in. Let me invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Luke 14. Luke 14, we'll begin reading in verse 16, and can I invite you to stand? Luke 14, starting in verse 16. I read from the NIV, if that helps you follow along, or the words will also be on the screen. Luke 14, 16, Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm still on the way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married so I can't come. And the servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out and quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. And then the master told his servant, go out into the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. There are four categories of characters in this story, and we're going to look at what each category or character uh, teaches us. The first character is the hospitable host. The hospitable host. You see in your notes that the hospitable host teaches us that God invites the whole world into heaven. God invites the whole world into heaven. Now, we don't know a lot about the rich man in this parable. It's important to remember that it was indeed a parable. 
Uh, this probably never happened. Maybe it did. But Jesus is just telling a make, made-up story uh, to prove a spiritual point, which is what parables are. But we know this guy had to be rich. He owned land. He had servants. And he had enough money to throw a party to feed the entire village. And so this particular uh, master wanted everybody to come to his house. He had a generous spirit. We see it in verse 23 of Luke 14. He said, go out into the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in that my house will be full. In this particular parable, the rich man represents God the Father. Jesus is telling his audience that God the Father wants his house to be full. It is God's desire to fill up heaven, to fill up the people of God. It's God's desire to send this invitation to the world. If you're taking notes, these aren't in your notes, but two verses that we never want to forget as a church. 2 Peter 3, 9 says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 1 John 2, 2, Christ died not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. As we go all the way back in the book of Genesis, we learn that God creates. God made this world. God made Adam and Eve. God did it in such a way I can't wait to get to heaven to maybe get a replay video of how God did it. But we see that God creates. But we also see that sin breaks. Adam and Eve chose to sin against God. And if Adam and Eve hadn't done it, we would have done it. I know I would have done it. But so sin has broken humanity. It's broken this world. We see the curse of sin everywhere. Which actually, by the way, is one of the greatest evidences to prove that the Bible is true. When you're in the world and you see suffering and brokenness and somebody says, how could there be a God if? One way you can turn that around is to say, actually, that's the narrative that's in the Bible. God tells us he gave Adam and Eve a free choice. They had a perfect free will in a way that, that is, it hasn't been since that time. They were able to love God fully and choose God fully, but they chose to sin. Sin broke. And forever or since then, the earth has been broken. Our hearts continue to be broken. But that's why Jesus came. You see, the whole Bible fits together as one story. God creates, sin breaks, but thankfully Jesus saves. And the reason he died on the cross was to save us from our sins, to save us from ourselves. He continues to transform us, and one day he will completely and totally restore us. There's coming a future day when there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. If you read the back of the book, you'll find out that we win. Actually, Jesus wins, and there's going to be this great party. Heaven is often described as a great feast or a great banquet. You can read about it in Isaiah 25 or Revelation 19. On Monday, I started preparing for this sermon, and I was ready just to dive right into some of the other characters. So begin to think about the, the characters we're going to look at in a moment who gave excuses and the servants and the people who did come to the banquet. But probably it took me about 48 hours this week to get over the father, to really be able to move on to the rest of the parable. This parable is about a father who wants his house full. That is the heart of our God. 
Really, we have a nice mission statement that says we're, we're about glorifying God to produce more maturing followers of Jesus. That is a great mission statement. We're going to keep it. But just on the side of somebody says, Matt, why are we doing this? Pastor Matt, why are we doing that? I'm now going to respond because we want the Father's house to be full. We want the Father's house to be full. God so loved the world. He is calling a people from every kindred, tongue, tribe, and nation. And God is calling people in Charleston, West Virginia, to be part of his church. He wants his house to be full. The greatest way, the highest form of love is to invite hurting people into your life. We learn that from the hospitable host Let's look at the second character, the arrogant guest. There's actually several arrogant guests. What do we learn from them? This, self-righteous people will miss heaven. Self-righteous people will miss heaven. God is the hospitable host, and he invites the whole world into heaven. But self-righteous people will miss his grace. In the parable, Jesus tells a story about three people who gave excuses. The first person says, I can't come to the banquet because I have already, I just bought a field and now I want to go see it. I just bought a field, now I want to go see it. The way RSVPs worked in that day were similar to the way they worked, work in our day. You send out an invitation days or weeks in advance. The difference was they didn't operate on a time-based system. So they didn't say, hey, it's going to be on Friday at 7 o'clock. They just said, hey, I'm throwing a banquet, dinner banquet on Friday. Can you come? And people would respond, yes or no. If they responded yes, they would send one of their children or one of the servants around the village to pass the word that, hey, the dinner's ready or the dinner's going to be ready in 15 minutes. So people knew the general time but it usually involved two invitations, two calls. So this particular individual had already RSVP'd yes, but when the time came that the servants came out and said, hey, dinner is ready, this first person said, I'm sorry, I just bought a field. I have economic commitments. I can't come. Now, this really is a kind of a, a ridiculous excuse for several reasons. All right, if he had already indeed bought the field, that field wasn't going anywhere right? So it's evening. It's probably after dusk. The servant comes and said, dinner's ready. And the guy says, um, I'm sorry, I can't come because I just bought a field. Field's going to be there tomorrow. Now I realize there's some of you who maybe you deal in real estate and you're able to buy and sell land and real estate um, without looking at it. Uh, for many of us, you know, we want to see what we buy. We want to see the house. We want to see the land. We want to get an inspection to make sure it's totally ready before we buy it. Either way, this was a ridiculous excuse. So Jesus tells us about the second excuse. The second person says, I'm sorry, I can't come to the banquet now. I know I RSVP'd yes, but I can't come to the banquet because I just bought five yoke of oxen. I just bought 10 oxen. I can't come. So it seems legit, right? Okay, that's a lot to manage. But again, this is the edge of dark. Maybe it's already dark. And the servant comes and says, dinner's ready. I'm sorry, I can't come. I just bought oxen. I got to go try them out. He's probably not going to go try out five yoke of oxen after dark. He's just, just not something you do. And, and so it's, again, a ridiculous excuse. The third excuse makes a little more sense. The person says, I just got married. I can't come because I just got married. Now, 
on the surface, that sounds legitimate. The Old Testament even allowed you, for the first year that you were married, you didn't have to do anything. You didn't have to go anywhere. The community supported you. The husband didn't have to go off to war. There was two reasons for that. One reason is so the couple could get to know one another, and certainly procreation was involved in that. The second reason is not in the Bible. It's just a hunch. And that is that God knows nobody wants to be around a couple their first year after they're married. You just don't want to be around them, right? They didn't have to go. They could have said no to begin with. But in this culture, it's very unlikely that a wedding just sprang up at the last minute, right? And even if a wedding had sprang up, the whole community would have been invited. Everything shuts down. If you've ever seen the movie, My Big Big Fat Greek Wedding, everything shuts down when it comes to a wedding party. So this is, again, just another ridiculous excuse not to come to the master's feast. This isn't part of the main point in the sermon, but it's an application to see that how easy it is to take things that are true and put them together to form excuses for not obeying God or not loving others. See, we can do it simply by taking this verse from the Bible and that verse from the Bible and putting them together and making some kind of legalistic conviction because we say, amen, the Bible teaches it. You see the problem here. Jesus is showing us that legalism often stems from just misapplied Bible. And anytime our legalism prevents us from loving people and welcoming people and, and showing respect and honor to people, Jesus calls that pride. We see in context that what's going on, Jesus himself is at a banquet. He's actually at the banquet with the Pharisees. There were three banquets in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus met with the Pharisees. Uh, If you're taking notes, it's in Luke 7, Luke 11, and Luke 14. And in all three instances, Jesus sits down with these religious leaders, and it doesn't end well. Jesus had guts. The things that Jesus said to these people at their own dinner parties amazes me. And he comes to this dinner party in Luke 14, and there's a guest there who's ill. In the old King James, it said he had the, the, the disease of dropsy. And that's from the Greek word hydrodropsis, which is simply what we call edema nowadays. This guy was swollen he had, uh, maybe he had swollen legs, swollen ankles, swollen hands. Maybe his face was swollen. Maybe he couldn't breathe. Maybe his lungs had fluid. Either way, the guy was not in good shape. So this isn't part of the parable. This actually happened. And in Luke 14, verses 1 and 2, it says that Jesus is at this banquet with the Pharisees, and there's this gentleman with edema sitting with them. Now, the text doesn't say it, but I have a hunch that it was a trap. Why in the world would this sick man be invited to a banquet with the Pharisees? The Pharisees considered people like this to be cursed by God. They had sinned and deserved this kind of disease as divine retribution. Why in the world would he be at a banquet? I think it was a trap. That's just my opinion. So Jesus is at this dinner. The man who's sick comes in, and you can just see the Pharisees looking at Jesus to see what he's going to do. It's the Sabbath day. He's not supposed to do any work on the Sabbath. Even if it's a divine miracle of healing a sick man, Jesus, you're not supposed to do that. It's the Sabbath. And Jesus looks at the the banquet host and he says this, if your child fell into a well 
on the Sabbath? Would you not pull them out? If your ox fell into a ditch, would you not do everything to pull them out? And then Jesus turns to the sick man and he heals him. You see, verse 11 gets to the heart of what Jesus was, was attacking here. In verse 11, he says, For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. In Luke 14, verse 24, the very end of our passage, Jesus has a strong message to these Pharisees. He says, I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. If you have your Bible, flip back over to, to chapter 13, verse 26. Just back a page or two. Chapter 13, verse 26. Jesus says to them this, same group of people, the religious elite. He says, then you will say, we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. But God will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away with me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God. But you yourselves will be thrown out. People will come from the east and the west and the north and the south and will take their place in the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first and the first who will be last. Here's the message. Jesus is saying, if you think you are good enough to get to heaven, you're not going there. It's simple. If you think you're good enough to get to heaven, you're not going there. Sometimes I joke with our ushers and I say, don't let any sinners in here. Don't let any sinners in here. Other times I'll joke with them and say, hey, don't let any perfect people in here. Actually, I do mean that. If you think you are perfect, this church is not the place for you. But if you know that salvation only comes because Jesus died on the cross for your sins, he was buried, he rose again the third day, and he can take your brokenness and your sin and your mess and forgive your sin and give you new life. If you know you're a broken person, you're a candidate for salvation because perfect people do not get to heaven. Those of us who know we're believers, we can learn a lot from this passage. Do you look down on others if they don't agree with you and your preferences and your spiritual opinions? If you're in a class or a group or on your way home, if you see somebody who, who doesn't quite cross their T's and dot their I's just like you, do you talk about them as though they're not as spiritual as you are? Have you dug in your heels to make some religious point that's not in the Bible? Who do you look down on without even, without even knowing it? Or who do you not want at Bible Center Church? That's the question God was asking me this week. Who do you not want in your church? And whenever we begin to think that way, and we realize that this is all about God's grace, then we'll understand the main point of this parable. The highest form of love is to invite hurting people into your life. There's a third category we've got to see, and that's the hurting guests. We can't leave out the hurting guests. What do they teach us? Only people with special needs 
go to heaven. Only people with special needs go to heaven. You say, what are you talking about? Why do you say that? I'll explain it in just a minute. Look with me, if you will, in verses 21 through 23. Verse 21. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets, go into the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out into the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. Jesus was simply illustrating the spiritual truth he had already taught back in verses 12 through 14. Look back there with me. Same chapter, verse 12. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends. Think about this. Your brothers, your sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and then you'll be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Now let's just call time out there for a minute. My dad's birthday is tomorrow. We're going to go hang out this evening to celebrate his birthday. Is Jesus telling me I should call my dad? Hey, dad, I'm sorry, buddy. I love you. But Jesus says, this this whole birthday deal, this is over, right? No more dinners. Tell mom, no more dinners. We're not going to hang out anymore because I can't hang out with my family. That's, of course, not what Jesus is teaching. Jesus hung out with his brothers. Jesus hung out with his mom. Jesus hung out with rich people. The answer, Jesus isn't saying you can never do this. He's simply saying at this moment and this time, don't forget to hang out with people who cannot pay you back. Remember to spend some of your time with people who can never pay you back. In this particular culture of, of patronage, uh, it, was, it was assumed that in order to climb the ladder of society, you had to wheel and deal with the movers and shakers of society. If you want to get a promotion, you've got to really sweet talk the people who can give you a promotion. If you want money, if you want power. Now, do you think the world is still that way at least a little bit today? Maybe just a little bit. It's that way a lot. Jesus is saying... Hey, remember to love the people that can never pay you back. In Luke chapter 5, in verse 31 and 32, we learn the spiritual lesson that Jesus intends. In Luke 5, 31 and 32, he says, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. In other words, Jesus is looking for a people who know they have spiritual needs. You know, recognizing that, we're starting something new this morning that I wanted to share with you. And that's just simply a prayer room at the end of the service. We've been wanting to do this for a while. We tried to do the the living room. The living room, sometimes people walking across the hall and it can kind of become a gathering spot. So we've made a prayer room. At the end of the service from now on, these double doors over on my left are going to open at the end of the service. And if you have a prayer need, 
If you, you've been a believer maybe for years, and you say, I'd just love one of our pastors or one of our leaders to pray with me. We're going to have pastors and men and women and leaders over here in this room on our left. They'll just take some time and pray with you, even if it's for a few minutes. Maybe you say, you know, Pastor Matt, I, I think I, I want to become a Christian, but I'm not really not sure how. Pastor Dickie Reif and his team of people will be happy to take a Bible and show you how to follow Jesus and make him the Lord of your life. So we have a prayer room that's going to start up. If you wonder why the chairs aren't there, no need to email me about the chairs. There's a reason they're not in front of the doors because we're going to have a prayer room and people are going to go have the opportunity to pray. I look forward to taking advantage. I hope you'll take advantage as you need it as well. At the end of the service, we still have our Bible Center in five out by the fireplace. If you have other questions about how to get connected, Jane's going to be out there from here on out. Here's Jesus's point. People who have physical special needs show the rest of us what it means to have spiritual special needs. People who have physical special needs remind the rest of us what it's like to have spiritual special needs. Now, I think it could be argued that all of us, to some degree or another, have physical special needs. But we're talking about this group of people that Jesus mentions in his parable. Why does Jesus specifically point them out? It's the same reason he does in Luke 5. He is saying, if you think you are well, you're never going to call a doctor. And if you think you don't have special needs spiritually, you're never going to call out to the great healer for salvation. God only saves people who know they have special needs. That's why I am so excited to be part of a church that says we're going to invest in a physical special needs ministry. We can learn so much from what God is doing in our brothers and sisters' hearts. And they teach us so much. This week I read in the American Journal of Medical Genetics, 99% of those living with Down syndrome, for instance, say they are happy and they like who they are. Many with Down syndrome have a high capacity for enjoying life. And one researcher said they're the happiest people in the world. When we got Pastor John King here as our executive pastor, I knew we were getting his wife, Emily. I knew she was going to move here. But I didn't know she had been the operations director for a large special needs ministry in California. And so Emily, when she came and John mentioned, hey, do you think there's a chance Emily's got a little bit of experience with special needs? He was being modest. She, she has a ton of experience ministering to families affected by special needs. And she is coaching us and she is leading us. And your generosity in the Christmas card offering made all of that possible. All that equipment made the remodeling of that room possible. And we see this only as the beginning. People in Charleston tell me that if you have a child or a young adult affected by special needs, they don't know where to go to church on Sunday to have a place where they can trust their child or their brother or their sister and they enjoy a worship service. We must change that. And then Pastor Matt also mentioned the special needs prom coming up on April 13th on our campus. Music and food and, and dancing and celebration and, and students. The highest form of love is to invite hurting people into your life.
There's one more group of people in this parable we're going to look at before we're done. And that's the messengers. God calls us to invite as many people as possible into heaven. Verses 21 through 23, we see the master tell his servants, you go out and you invite people to my banquet. If you're taking notes, random fact, but for the two or three of us that geek out on this sort of thing, I just learned it this week. In these short verses from verse 7 through 24, these short verses, the word invite in the original language is used 12 times. The word invite is used 12 times. Jesus is saying, be passionate about your invitations. Go out and invite and invite and invite. If we would have heard this in Jesus's original language, we would have got the message. Jesus is saying, invite, invite people into your life. I used this illustration here a few weeks ago at one of our leaders' banquets, so I'll use it again. Well, shortly after I moved back to Charleston, I was over here in Walmart in the auto section, finding something, can't remember. And, and I heard a guy say, Matt. And I turn around, and there's this kid I'd grown up with. He was the, kind of the troubled kid in our neighborhood. He was the kid that introduced us to everything that we never should have been introduced to, that kid, right? Like, when I saw him, I knew exactly who he was. He knew who I was. Neither of us have changed a ton. And he called me by name. I called him by name. And I'm thinking, even though I'm, right, I'm, at the time I was 36, I'm a grown man, I'm a senior pastor, I love Jesus, I was thinking, oh, man, this guy's trouble. That's what I always thought when I was a kid, right? You just knew to avoid him. Or if you, did, if you didn't avoid him, you knew not to let mom know you hadn't avoided him. Um, and so I saw him in the aisle, and, and he goes, Matt, he said, hey, what are you doing back in Charleston? And I told him I'm the pastor of Bible Center. He said, man, let me tell you, I found Jesus. And he's all fired up, talks about the church he goes to on the other end of St. Albans, and he was being loud, and he said, man, Jesus is changing my life. Now, look, I like getting excited about Jesus, right? But I, you know, just kind of keep it calm down, right? Don't get too loud and excited. We don't need to get too excited about this Jesus stuff. And he's like, man, Jesus changed me, and you knew the way I was. And he's talking real loud in Walmart. But I tell you, I found Jesus, and my wife and mine, my kids, we go to church, and we're growing in the Lord. He's all excited. And it occurred to me, he knows what it means to be excited about inviting people into the banquet. And I have a lot to learn. God is saying not just invite them casually and hope that they fill a seat, but Jesus is saying invite them into your heart, invite them into your life. Two authors wrote this in their book, Katie Weatherby and Jolene Philo say, inclusion has more to do with just geography. It is more to do with cardiology studied and felt in the heart. This is why Jesus ate with sinners. The highest form of love is to invite hurting people into your life. Let's imagine together before we pray, what could this look like for us this week, for us to invite hurting people into our lives? Maybe for you, it's simply to get to know other people who are already in the church, a church our size. You may not know everybody yet. And so on Sundays, what if you made your goal to invite one or to meet one person you don't know? 
And then outside the church, what would it look like for us to eat at restaurants and and attend uh, social events and hang out with our kids, uh, friends, parents who maybe don't go to church? What would it look like to invite them into our lives? What would it look like to hang out at Taylor Books on a Friday night or a Saturday night, to hang out at the Clay Center or somewhere on Capitol Street, to share a meal, to invite a neighbor into your home? without any strings attached, no sermons, no literature, just invite them. This past week, Troy McClung told me the story about how he got connected at Bible Center. He's the chairman of our deacons. He said a number of years ago, he was coming to Bible Center. He'd come occasionally. And he said that Josh Hanks invited him to come into their group. He's like, man, I don't really don't want to come into a group. I just want to come and come and eat and leave, you know, just kind of show up, hear the word and leave. I really don't want to get connected. But Josh kept after him. Troy, come to our group. Come to our group. And Troy finally came into the group and found community. And he hasn't left. Here a few weeks ago, I heard about how that same guy, Troy, invited Casey Wilson and his family. They started serving together in Union Mission. And next thing you know, Casey and his family became part of Bible Center Church. I believe there are hundreds and thousands of Troy and Kelly McClungs and Casey and Missy Wilsons waiting for us to invite. And we have an opportunity in two weeks to do it. You notice when you came in, there were some tables. On the way out, our ushers are going to be passing out some Easter invite cards. They're going to have an opportunity for you to take one card. You can take more if you want, but why not just try taking one and inviting somebody into your life this Easter. Not just, hey, maybe you'll come, but invite him to sit with you. Invite him to be with you, share a meal with you, and celebrate God's grace in your life and in their life. We were looking this week for a picture of what this banquet could have looked like. And it occurred to us that this special needs prom that we're about to have is a perfect picture of all we've talked about the last seven weeks. It's just one illustration among many. And as you watch this video, remember that the highest form of love is to invite hurting people into your life. Thank you.
As you go about your day, may the God of peace comfort your heart and help us to invite hurting people into our lives. Go now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Peace be with you.